we've been going through the book of Malachi, um, and as we've been doing this uh, on our podcast, I think we've been uploading reading of the scripture, um, and this morning, Chelsea is going to read from Malachi 3 for us. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. All right. Give it up for Chelsea. Um, you know, it's interesting. We've been going um, through this series, Preoccupied, and we've, we've gone just verse by verse through Malachi. Um, and, and something interesting about doing this is you can't skip the parts that you don't want to really talk about. Um, and I feel like this is one of those parts. Uh, it's not fun. No, one's, no one ever asks, like, man, we need to do more talks about giving, or we need to do more talks about money. That's what you need to preach about more. No one... No one asks for that, but the Bible talks about it. Um, and, and so as we've been going through this series, we've been getting a peek into really this counseling session that's happening between God and his people. And so every week, um, there's, there's this question that's brought up, and there's a discussion between God and his people about it. And this, uh, this scripture that we're looking at today, Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, it is actually one of the most taken out of context, one of the most misinterpreted verses um, in all of Scripture. And it's, it really is the epicenter of this thing called prosperity theology. Um, and what prosperity theology boils down to is, is that we give in order to get. Um, the goal in giving is not, to, not for God, but it's for our own. Uh, it's for us, so that we will get more. Um, taken out of context, you could read this verse. You could read Malachi 3, 6 through 12. And, and if you separate it from the rest of the Bible, you could begin to think that God is kind of like this giant pinata in the sky. And, and if the, the presence, if the good stuff hasn't poured out yet, it's because you haven't grabbed your tithing stick, you haven't grabbed your giving stick and hit that pinata hard enough, right? It's this idea that, that, wow, if you're not getting blessings from God, it's because you're not giving enough. And, and so uh, prosperity theology is really using God because we love money when in reality, we ought to love God and use money. And I think um, what happens when we get to a verse like this in Scripture is we need to decide, is this promise that God is making 
to these people? Is it a one-time promise for people at a specific time, or is it an all-time promise for all people for all eternity? Right? And so uh, I'll give you an example of a one-time promise, uh, Moses. God gives Moses a staff, and, um, and he says this. <laughs> In Exodus 7, he says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and just did as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. So here's this promise that God gives Moses. He says, go and throw your staff down in front of Pharaoh, and it's going to become a snake. Now, is this an all-time promise for all people? Is, is God saying, like, anytime you get a stick, you can throw it on the ground and turn it into a snake? I, that's not what God is saying here. This is a, a one-time promise just for Moses in this situation, right? But there are other times in Scripture, there are other promises of Scripture that are for all people, all time. Uh, John 3.16, for example, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise for all people, for all time, that's true all the time for everyone. It's not just for one person, not just for one group of people, it's for all people. And so when we look at this scripture in Exodus, we have to decide, is this a one-time promise or an all-time promise that God is making? And if we look at the rest of scripture, it's pretty easy to see that this is a one-time promise that God is making to the Israelites at this point in time. Because in the rest of Scripture, nowhere does God say, you know what, you give to me, and I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to make you wealthy and healthy and happy all the time. If, if you put your, and that's, this is the basis of prosperity theology, is that you put your trust in God, and you give to God, and, and many preachers use this theology in order to get money from people. And they say, if you give enough, God is going to give you back even more. If you give $1,000, you're going to get $10,000. You give $10,000, you're going to have a Lamborghini. You're going to have whatever, you're going to have health and wealth and happiness. But if we read the rest of Scripture, if we take this in context with the whole Bible, we can see that's just not true. I mean, Jesus himself wasn't wealthy. He didn't have all this material wealth, all these material possessions. He wasn't even healthy, in a sense, because he was nailed to a cross. I mean, all, all his disciples that followed him endured suffering and pain, and it was hard. And over and over, the Bible says, count the costs of what it is to follow me, because it's going to be hard. It's going to cause suffering, and it's not going to be easy. And so when, when we take a look at this scripture... In context of the whole Bible, we see that it's not an all-time promise for all people that if we give our money to God, he is going to make us rich. He, he is saying that to these people at this point in time, but not to everyone at all time. But what's interesting here is that though it's not an all-time promise, it's a one-time promise, I think you can pull out of it an all-time principle. 
And a, the difference between a promise and a principle is this. A promise says, if, if you do this, I will, do, I will for sure do this thing. And a principle is, this is how the world works. And if you live in line with how the world works, generally things are going to work out for you. And so uh, I think Jared's talked about before how the book of Proverbs is this book of wisdom. And, and in this book of wisdom, there are these principles. And that generally, when you follow these principles, things tend to go well. If you live in line with the way that God set up the universe, things tend to go well. Um, I'm not saying you're going to be rich. I'm not saying you're never going to run into hard things. But generosity is a good thing. And, and I think that throughout Scripture, God says, when you are generous, it's good for you. When you are generous, things, things I'm going to honor it in a way. Things are generally going to go good for you when you're generous and good for the people around you. It's not a promise that's saying every time you give money, I'm going to give you money back. Sure, maybe that might happen. But he's saying this is just a principle that we live by. And so what I think happens is we get to verses like this and we really don't want to talk about it because you know, so many path people have used this to, to manipulate and have used this to, to take advantage of people. And I, and I know when I was younger, um, I used to always say, like, man, we don't need to talk about money in church. Like, we just need to do what Jesus did. We just need to be about Jesus and do what Jesus did. And I was like, I'm so radical, you know? Like, I'm this, like, cool, young, hip guy. We just need to be like Jesus. And what I find is that when we read the Bible, Jesus talks about money a lot. Actually, 25% of what Jesus talks about has to do with money. And so if we are going to be like Jesus, then technically we have to talk about money, because that's what he did. And so before we really dive in, um, I'm just going to pray for us real quick. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. And even though we're uh, tackling a tough subject Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that anything that is not of you, I would forget. That I would not say a word that is not from you, Lord. I pray that you um, would make yourself known in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so, like I said, each week there's a question that's asked to God. Uh, at first, they asked God, like, how have, you, how have you loved us? God said he loved them. How have you loved us? And God explains. And, and they've asked, how have we not honored you? Or they've asked, how have, we, how have we wearied you through our injustice? And here we come to Malachi chapter 3. And God says, you have robbed me. And the people ask this question, how have we robbed you? God, how have we robbed you? They're essentially about to get into a, a budget meeting with God. Um, God's like, let's take a look at your finances, uh, which I would not want to happen to me. Um, well, I don't know if you've ever been robbed, um, but when I was in college, uh, I was at the bank. Uh, it was back when I banked with Bank of America. And I was in the drive-through part, like putting a check in. I think my mom had sent me a check. And I, I was putting a check into the bank back when you didn't do it on your phone. 
Um, and this guy kind of called out to me. He was like, hey, come here. And I was like, this is a good idea. I'll definitely go there. And so I did. I got, I got in my car, and I drove over to this guy in a big white van. Uh, I'm not like a six-year-old. I was an adult. And he, and he brought me over, and he had this shirt on with a company logo on it, and his, his van had the company logo on it. And he said, look, I'm delivering these speakers. And long story short is I need $200. And I've got these speakers in my van that are worth $2,000. And he said, look, I would sell you one of these speakers for $200 right now. If, like, I just need $200. He made a really good story out of it all. Anyway, uh, and I, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be fooled. I'm no sucker. Like, open the box. And so he pulls out this box, and on the front it says MSRP 1999.99. You know, I'm like, well, okay. Pulls out this speaker, what looks like a speaker, and I think, okay, like, maybe I'm going to make a little money today. And so he puts it back in the box, and I'm like, you know what? This actually seems like a pretty good deal. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to buy this speaker. I'm going to go home. I'm going to sell it on, online, and I'm probably going to walk away pretty rich, like, I'll probably make at least $1,000 today, and not too bad for a guy in college. Um, and so I go get $200, pretty much 95% of what I had in the bank. <laughs> I pull it out. I give it to this guy, and I drive away. And as I'm driving away, I think, that was probably not the best decision. And I get home, and as I'm pulling the speaker out of my car, my roommate looks at me and says, oh, no. You didn't buy that from some guy in a van, did you? <laughs> and my heart just sunk because I knew that I had been conned. Um, it was basically just a wooden box with a little thing that looked like a speaker on it, but it was not a speaker. Uh, and he was like, oh, my, my last roommate bought one of those too. And I was, <laughs> I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I was like, man, I am going to catch this guy. And like for the next few months, Every time I went anywhere, I was like looking out for this white van because I was like, I'm going to get this guy. I was so mad. I was so, and to be deceived like that, to be robbed from, you know, it, being robbed from, it's kind of a, a pretty terrible feeling. We also had our house broken into that year, and uh, it was not a good year, I guess, for me. But... <laughs> I remember feeling like, gosh, it's so violating. Someone just came in, took whatever they wanted from me, and, and left. They left the speaker. They didn't take that. Uh, and, and so we get to this point in Scripture where God says to the people, you've robbed me. But he uses a word here that's far more severe than just the, the robbing that I'm talking about, like the being deceived, being conned, being... Uh, stolen from. It's far more severe. This word is only used one other time in Scripture, and it's a much harsher word. Um, this Hebrew word is actually more of a word that is used to say someone pillaged or plundered or uh, took advantage of you in a really forceful, violent way and just took everything from you. And so, when God says this, that you have robbed me, that you've pillaged from me, that you have plundered me, it's really strong language. The people in Malachi, they're just dumbfounded. They're like, how could we even, how could we? 
What, what do you mean we've robbed you? What do you mean we've pillaged from God? And God basically replies, you've done this with a lack of generosity. It's a lack of generosity. And it's a stinginess. It's, it's this idea that they just won't give away their money. They use it all on themselves. It's all about me. And God, obviously, in this verse, takes our lack of generosity very seriously. And here's why. In First Chronicles, uh, King David, he's raising money for the temple. And at one point, he takes a break from raising money from the temple. In First Chronicles 29, verse 14, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So here, David is essentially he's saying two things. Everything comes from you. Everything is a gift from God. And you might be looking at me, thinking like, well, I worked really hard for the stuff that I have. And that's good, and that's true. And we ought to work hard to earn. Um, I believe that's, that's biblical. But... God has given you the abilities. God has given you the hands. God has given you the mind. God has given you every opportunity that you've had. And so really what David is saying is because God has given me everything, it's, it's all his. And, and still I think people would be like, well, yeah, but I mostly did it. And I would... Beg the question, what if you were born as a crippled man in the 14th century in Malaysia? Would you be as well off as you are? Probably not. You'd probably be in a lot different situation. But God has given us so much. And the second point that David really makes here is that everything we have is actually still God's. That we're, not, we're just managers of the things that God has given us. That, that God gives us everything, but he actually, it's actually still his. He, we're just the money, we're, we're just the brokers of it. Imagine for a second, if you were a money manager, if you were a broker, and your investors gave you a million dollars, and you're like, awesome, I'm going to use this million dollars, I'm going to invest it, and you turned it into $1.2 million. You'd be excited, right? That's awesome. You've turned this $1 million into $1.2 million. Now, what if you took the $1.2 million and bought yourself a house? That would be illegal. That's called fraud. <laughs> well, you've just defrauded your investors. You've taken their money and used it on yourself. And, and God is, is the great creator investor. And then when we deny the role of, of manager, of steward, that he has given us, what we are doing is we're defrauding the God of the universe. And in doing so, we are pillaging, we're plundering creation. And we're adding to the brokenness, and we're, we're adding, this, adding to the brokenness of shalom that has happened when, when we deny this role of manager that God has placed on us. So it's a big deal to God, this idea of generosity. He takes it seriously. Um, and, and what makes it even a bigger problem is that the power of money blinds us to it. The power of greed blinds us to the, to the fact that we might be greedy. 
the Bible says that materialism, that greed, is, is this sin of the eye. Um, in Luke 12, just after uh, Jesus talks about how the eye is the light of the, the body, and um, he, he begins to say in Luke 12, verse 15, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says, watch out for all kinds of greed. I think it's interesting. There's nowhere else. God never says, watch out for all kinds of adultery. Why? Because if you're committing adultery, you know it's happening, right? Like, you're not like, wait a second, that's not my wife. It's not, it doesn't work like that. You know, you know it's happening, but with greed, it blinds us to the fact that we might even be greedy. It, it, it totally sneaks up on us. We, we may be the most greedy people in the world and have no idea. We may be the most ungenerous people on the face of the earth, and, and it would blind us to the fact that we are ungenerous. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for a little while, and I've had a lot of kids like confess things to me, and I've had a lot of confessions of like pride and lust, and a lot of confessions um, of anger and confession, you know, just these things that people struggle with. But I can't remember a time when anyone has come to me and said, "I'm really struggling with greed. I'm really struggling because I'm just not generous." No one thinks they're not generous because we're surrounded by people who spend money more frivolously than we do. And so we think that, you know what, we're kind of middle class and we're kind of frugal, maybe. Um, you know, God talks about money, investment, wealth, possessions over 800 times from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so here's this thing that God thinks is a big deal. And he talks about it a lot because there's a lot of us that are greedy. There's a lot of people that are struggling with a heart of not being generous, yet no one thinks they're not generous. It's a huge sin issue for humans, but, but no one thinks it applies to me. And so that's part of the power of greed. And, and I think in order to really hear the message today, to really hear what God is saying. We need to make it the working hypothesis that maybe I'm greedy. Maybe I'm not generous or as generous as God wants me to be. Maybe. I mean, we live in the wealthiest country in the world, in, in one of the wealthiest times in human history, flourishing. And most of us still feel like, man, I just don't have enough. I just need a little bit more. If I could just make a little bit more, if I could just have a little bit more. I think, you know what, I might have a greed problem. I might be robbing God. So money has this power over us, but I want to ask why. Why do we think money, why does money have a power over us? I think the answer is in verse 10 of Malachi 3. He says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So when God talks about his house in the Old Testament, he's talking about the temple. And, and when we begin to understand the meaning of this word storehouse, I think we're going to start to understand the real reason why money has power over us. 
Uh, a storehouse in Hebrew is a treasury. And a storehouse was the place in the temple, it was the, the, the spot in the temple where all the treasure was stored. It was the treasury. So the, that's where all the, the expensive things were stored. The silver, the gold, the jewels, the wealth, it was kept in the treasury of the temple. And every temple in the world, whether it was a Jewish temple or not, had a treasury. And out of the treasury, came, that's where they got the support for their worship and their salvation system of, of whatever that that temple was built to. And so... When God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, what he's saying is bring your money, bring, bring your generosity into my storehouse. Bring it, bring it into my treasury. And the implication there is that if we are not bringing it into God's treasury, it's going into a different treasury in a different temple. And here's what I mean by that. If we find it really difficult to give generously, to give to those in need, to, to, to give to the things of God, but we find it really easy to spend money on, let's say, new clothes, just so like, it's kind of like, I spend maybe a little too much money on clothes, and, you know, I hate writing a check to help someone else, and it's, uh, it's just such a drag. It's, uh, I don't want to do it, but when it comes to clothes, like, I could spend money pretty quickly. Pretty, I mean, it kind of just goes out the door. Maybe, then, our wardrobe might be our real temple. See, uh, the question we really need to ask is, what things am I looking for to make me feel fulfilled? You know, maybe, you know, clothes is maybe not a great example, um, but maybe, this is probably a struggle for me, maybe it's easy to spend money on our house, on updating it, and making it look perfect, and, and expanding it, and adding all the, these cute things to it, and, but it's really, really hard for us, and we don't really want to be generous towards the things of God. We don't really want to give towards the things of God. We don't want to help those in need. It's, that, that, it's hard to spend my money that way, then maybe our house has become our temple. And maybe we're looking toward that in order to bring us fulfillment. Or maybe we're looking towards that, having this nice, perfect, beautiful house to bring us uh, acceptance, to bring, to bring us uh, security. If it's in the right neighborhood, you know, I gotta get that house in the perfect neighborhood because that will bring me security. Or maybe you are a millennial like me, and we don't spend money frivolously like that. You know, we don't waste money on tchotchkes and 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 fancy you know things like that. We spend money on experiences, and so you know I I, I would not I would not buy some like two hundred dollar shoes, but maybe I would spend $200 to go to a concert or to go on a trip. And, and if it's very easy for us to spend money on these experiences, but not on the things of God, to not give to the things of God, then maybe these experiences have become our temple. And we're looking towards these experiences to fulfill us and to give us joy and to give us the things that really only God can give us. Or maybe 
you don't spend money at all. Maybe you're really good at saving, and you look at everyone else, and you're like, wow, how silly. How silly that they're spending their money on cars, and on houses, and on clothes, and on experiences. I'm saving my money. Yeah, that's smart. And it is smart. It's good. If you find it very hard to give generously, but very easy to save, perhaps maybe your bank account has become your temple. And you're looking towards your bank account to bring you control and security over your future and what could happen. And that's where your security is found. See, money always flows into the storehouses of your true temple. It's, it's joyful to spend money on the things that are our true gods. People, um, people talk about worshiping money a lot, and I, I don't think people worship money. I think people or money really reveals what we do worship. A lot of times, you could take a look at someone's bank account and see, like, wow, what's important to them? If you looked at my bank account, you might think, like, eating unhealthy food is really important to me. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> this is why it's such a big deal to Jesus, because it's not about the money. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. He uses it. He does awesome things with it. But he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? The Bible says God is richer than we could ever be. He has given us the stuff we have. Why would he need our money? He doesn't. He, he's saying where your money goes, that's reveal, that reveals where your idols are. It's not really about the money. It's about the heart. Does God want our money? Uh, I think he wants far more than that. I think he wants all of us. He wants our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our money, our, our day-to-day everything. He wants us. And look, none of these things that I'm talking about, none of them are bad. Like, actually, they're all good. They're all good things, right? Like saving. You, you ought, the Bible talks about savings. You ought to save. That's a good thing. Uh, a house is a great, that's a good thing. Having nice things, that's a good thing. God has given us these blessings so that we could enjoy them. He's given us these things, so experiences, building memories. Those are great things. You ought to go on trips with your family and build memories. But we have to be careful that the good things don't become the ultimate things. Where we cheerfully give our money, there is where you're going to find your God. Our money is in a treasury, but which treasury is it in? Um, And what's hard is these things that we put our hope in, they never can fulfill. I mean, do we really think a big enough bank account can get us some kind of security? I think people in this room have gone through enough hard things and are going through enough hard things that to know that no matter how big our bank account gets, there's still things that, that can't be kept secure. A huge bank account can't stop a car accident. A huge bank account can't stop disease. It can't stop broken heart. It can't stop the fact that we're all going to die one day. Money cannot satisfy the deepest desires of our heart, no matter how hard we try to make it 
satisfy those desires. Um, C.S. Lewis is a quote in Mere Christianity, and he says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy, or echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object, object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. So that's how money can have power of us, but how do we break the power of it? How do we break the power of this money? Jesus says, where your heart is, there also is your treasure. Here's what he means by that. When we have our heart set on something, we say, if I have that, if I, if I can just get that thing, if I, could, oh, if I could only have that, then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. If I could just have that thing, that, that treasure of my heart, if I could get it, and that would be the thing that would make me happy. That's the thing that would bring me fulfillment. That's the thing that would bring me significance or security or whatever it is we're after. And, and, and the thing is, whatever our soul's treasure is, whatever our heart has de determined it is, we oftentimes will do anything to get it. We'll pay any amount. I'd do anything for it. You might even die for it, right? You might even die for it. But here's what's intriguing. Every other treasure of the heart will insist that you spend in order to get it. It'll basically say you must spend everything, maybe even die, in order to get this thing. But Jesus was the only treasure that ever spent everything to get you. Jesus was the only treasure that was willing to die for you. See, every other treasure in our life says, you've got to work to get me. You've got to lay down your life to get me. You've got to work yourself to the bone to feel successful to get me. And Jesus is the treasure that says, no, no, no. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to purchase you. Why would he do that? Why would he go to the cross? Why would he experience hell for, for you and I? The answer, I believe, is because you and I are Jesus' heart's treasure, that, that we're the object of his love, that we're the object of his treasure, that, that he wants us. And that's why Paul, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, is able to say this. He says, see that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the reality of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ. 
that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See what Paul is doing here? He's not, he's not demanding the people. He's not saying, look, I'm an apostle and you're Christians, and so you've got to do what I say. Give the money. Right? He's not strong-arming them. And, and he's actually not really even appealing to their emotion. He's not saying, like, well, you guys are pretty well off, and look at, like, this poor, poor child with the big eyes. Like, the, they look sad, right? Like, you should get... Like, he's not even appealing to their emotions. He simply asks, look at Jesus. Take a look at the cross. Remember what God has done for you. When, when you see Jesus dying, paying everything, because you were the treasure of his heart, then he becomes the treasure of your heart. And you see that he went up on the cross because you were the treasure of his heart, that he died the death that we deserved because we were the treasure of his heart. Suddenly, that we begin to see him as the treasure of our hearts and not these other things that so often distract us. Suddenly, money is not our source of significance or security or approval or fulfillment or control or of hope. It's just money because Jesus is our source of significance. He is our security. He is, gives us the approval. He is our fulfillment. He takes control. He is our hope. When we begin to see God on the cross loving us that much, it in turn begins to make us love like him. And then that will make us free to be generous like God was generous with us. There's a, a wee little man in, in the New Testament. You guys probably all know his name. Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. And one day he climbed up into a sycamore fig tree because he was trying to get a look at Jesus. And Jesus saw him and he called him out. And, and Zacchaeus was not a real good guy. He was definitely not what you would consider a generous person. He was pretty stingy. He was pretty messed up. He was a tax collector. He took money from other people. He stole from other people. He hurt other people. But, but God called him out and he says, look, I want to come to your house today. I'm going to have lunch with you. The Bible doesn't tell us what, what really goes on during that lunch. But at the end, Zacchaeus comes out completely transformed. He says, I'm going to give everything back. I'm going to give it all away. All my wealth, all my possessions. I'm going to give it all away. You know, if I've taken anything from anyone, I'm going to give it back threefold. And I think what's happened is, in, during this lunch, Zacchaeus has seen the love of God for him. Zacchaeus has seen that he is the treasure of Jesus' heart. And Jesus has become the treasure of his heart. And suddenly, the money doesn't look as good as it used to. You know, maybe for him, it represented, like, power, and, and I've made it, and, you know, I'm secure, and I can... I have power to take care of the people I want to take care of, and it makes me feel important to be rich. But all of a sudden, he doesn't need that anymore because those things are fulfilled in Jesus. And so he comes out 
from this lunch with Jesus completely changed. We're going to take communion in a minute. Um, the band's going to come back up and, and play one more song. And, and as we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering that the true treasure, the true treasure that will truly satisfy us didn't require that we die for it, for him. No, instead, the true treasure died for us. The true treasure purchased us. When we take the bread, when we take the wine, it's because we recognize that we are in need of the generosity of God. If God wasn't generous, we would be in big trouble. And when we recognize that and we see the generosity of God and we see the love of God and we see it poured out through the cross, through his death and resurrection, we see that, wow, maybe... Maybe God is the treasure of my heart, and I don't need all these other things. And, I, and you know what? I don't need all the stuff to make me happy anymore. I, I don't need those things to make me feel significant because I have Jesus. And he, he tells me who I am. He tells me that I'm loved. He tells me that I'm important. He tells me that I'm his. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't shy away from hard topics. That you call us out in, in hard places. That you work in us. That you confront the things in us that give power away. And we thank you that you are the true treasure, that you're the thing that can truly satisfy us, and that you paid for us, that the treasure bought us and not the other way around. Lord, we thank you that on the cross, you changed our eternity, that you gave us the security that money never could buy. You gave us the importance that money never could buy. You gave us the hope and the joy that money could never get for us. And that, the, that as soon as we put our hope in you, that we put our trust in you, you change us and you begin to work in us. Lord, I pray that you would work in me, that you would see the ways of my heart that are not generous, that you would see the ways of my heart that, that have been greedy. Lord, I pray that you would transform me from the inside out, that you would get rid of the old Tyler, get rid of the flesh, get rid of me, Lord, and fill me up with more of you. Thank you, for your love, and that it makes us whole. It's in your name we pray. Amen.